Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. We are so thrilled to welcome Dr. Reem to the podcast today. She's a clinical psychologist who specializes in mom's mental health. From rediscovering you after baby to navigating massive relationship change, which I can attest to, to helping women recover better in the postpartum period. Dr. Reem, literally every single post you make on your IG account at Psyched Mommies speaks to me and Lexi. Thank you for doing what you do to help so many of us. Thank you so much. They help me too. I mean, they're created <laughs> out of personal experience too. So thank you. I love all your like real talk, like just real talk, real talk, real talk. It's, it's yeah. amazing. All those posts are so good. Yeah, We are going to have you. lots of real talk today. So get ready for it. Okay. So where do we even start? There are so many things to start with, but why don't we just say, what would you say is the most common issue you see new moms in particular dealing with in your practice? Ooh, what's the most common? You know, one thing that I find, like this is just kind of global. I I find this not only in therapy, but when I like go to host a workshop or if I'm speaking to like a local group, the one question that I do see come up a lot is the question about the relationship dynamics. I think it throws people off so off that they like didn't expect it. And they're wondering, like, you know, it's like, I was just presenting at a group not too long ago. And it's like, someone's like slowly raising their hand. It's like, they don't want to ask, but they're going to ask like, Hey, is anybody else noticing changes in your relationship? Um, so that's something that is like a theme across all people. Like things are imploding. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? Slowly Nikki's raising her hand. Oh yeah. Okay. We're going there. Let's go there right now. (laughs) Like, so, so specifically it's just crash. Yes. Mm. Like, you know, we shift from like, when you bring home a child, you shift from it's you and your partner and um, you may have had a decent relationship. You may have enjoyed one another. You had a lot of more spontaneity and you focused your attention and your efforts on one another. For the most part, I recognize people have other things going on other than their relationship, but then you bring home a child and now there's this third party that's taking quite a bit of your energy, your attention. Maybe you're not sleeping, kind of like I didn't sleep for, I still don't sleep. And <laughs> totally, totally. And you have like just a lot more responsibilities. So the attention is no longer on the relationship. It's on this child. It's on doing things right as a parent. And then now we have some new dynamics that come to play. They may not be new dynamics for some people, but it's like they're emphasized. And this is like the tallying of who does more or I've sacrificed more. I'm doing more. Why do I need to ask you to do these things? Why can't you just do them? There's just these dynamics that really start, we start to see bitterness in one partner or both partners. And this can evolve and turn into even resentment if it's not addressed. But we're seeing where two people used to be teammates are now feeling like they're on opposite teams. And it's they're there to prove 
who's done more, who's lost more, who deserves more. And it's a very challenging place to be in. Yeah, I can, I can certainly attest to times when, you know, if my husband was like, God, I'm tired, I would be like, fuck off. Like, for real, like, who was the one that was up with a baby whose boobs are being nibbled on all night long? Like, please don't talk to me about who's tired. Like, I feel like that's something that, you know, and, and I, I mean, we're in a good place. We're fine. I'm just letting everyone know that, like, <laughs> if you've ever felt that way, like, you're like, oh, my God, like, you don't even know, you know? It was one of those things. I So I can totally empathize. And I feel like Lexi, we've talked about this like off the podcast before as well. Yeah. And, and it's the, like, even with my husband, like he's, he's super helpful and very supportive and all those things, but by default, naturally so much falls on us as moms. And like both Nikki and I didn't take like Matt, like we have our own businesses. So we're working full time as well as, as (laughs) doing the whole mom thing of the nibbling on your boobs. <laughs> oh gosh, that one gave me flashbacks. Like <laughs> totally, a totally. It's like the perfectly, perfectly worded. The, descri- the description is absolutely perfect. Um, and I remember like, I remember the specific, like my meltdown moment of it all coming to, to head. And, and it actually did wake up Adam a bit of, oh, it really, it, there isn't like that balance here because I had like massive meetings the next day and it was right when Clark was trying to like sleep train-ish and um, anyways, essentially I was up all night. I think I slept two hours and you're in, you're then in that zone of feeling already going into your day. Like this is not going to be a good day and waking up the next morning, Adam's like, well, (laughs) Clark was pretty good last night. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh shit. (laughs) Oh my god. And it just like blew up. And and thankfully like he does he understands, he appreciates, he tries to step in as much as he can, but there's a natural imbalance. So, I guess for you, how do then you get through that because by default so much lands on us. So, it's hard to not feel like we're like we are doing a lot more of the work and then how do you make sure that that doesn't end up in a place of counting chips of like Oh well, I've done this much, and here's what you've done. So now you need to do this much. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm smiling because <laughs> I had like so many similar situations to this myself, and I actually have like this specific moment where I remember waking up. My son was um, colicky, and he would wake up so many times throughout the night. And it was when I was going to return to work. I was working at a hospital, and I it was like my first day back. That's when he started to go through a sleep regression and he was up like six or seven times. And it was like my, I'm getting myself ready to go to work. And, um, I remember my husband waking up and being like, last night wasn't so bad. And I thought for who, like, I am going to lose it on someone. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. You and your worthless, worthless nipples. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They do nothing. What are they even there for? Mm -hmm. But when we, we are defaulted and I think part of this is like societal, right? Socially, we think of like women and mothers, um, care for children, they care for their needs. A lot of the tasks, whether it's household tasks or child rearing, women shoulder those responsibilities. The trouble is, is that currently women are part of the workforce. We are working as well. We, you know, have careers. So to do that and juggle all these things does feel unfair. So one thing I want to say is that if it feels unfair, you're not, those are not invalid feelings. Those are valid feelings. And one of the pieces of 
working on that unfairness or looking at that distribution of responsibilities is understanding that you don't want to be invisible to yourself. You want to recognize the work that you do. You want to um, recognize what you're doing and give your, like, I hate to say, give yourself a pat on the back, but it's like, you have to realize what you do, man, I am getting up every day. I have fed this baby all night long. I am up right now and I'm doing whatever it is that the tasks that you're doing and recognize how that's powerful. You are doing amazing work. And I think sometimes we set that bar so high that we feel like, what have I even done all that? Well, you're functioning on two hours of sleep and, you know, holding together a whole family structure. So notice yourself. Another piece is to say it to your partner, remind them what they're doing. I used to find it really silly when I was growing up, my mom would um, show us like what she did or talk about what she did all day. And she'd be like, look, I clean the house all day. I cooked and she worked. So she was like, you know, I did this, I did that. And I thought like, okay, mom, cool. But then as I, you know, started my own family, I realized there's actually a psychological benefit of doing that Mm -hmm. because now we're taking what's invisible and we're making it visible. And we're telling the other people like, Hey, I'm not just here, you know, in the background, I've been doing a lot. And your partner who may not recognize all the things you do now is like going to recognize it. But there also does need to be a redistribution of responsibilities. And we won't know how to do this unless we take all of the tasks that are happening in our home. We write them down and we say, hey, who do you think is responsible for what? And I mean, this doesn't have to be perfect because this sounds like a little bit like a, you know, a corporate meeting or something like a, a warning. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> but we want to write it down and like, think about all the things that you're doing, the things that are fine that you're okay with, but then there's other things that you might not be okay with and sit down with your partner or support person and say, Hey, these are all the tasks. What do you think you can contribute to? What do you think that you can take from this household task? And what we find is that when you mutually agree on a plan, you're more satisfied in the relationship and don't get lost in this though. Cause we don't, it's never going to be even, I think that's what we are typically looking for when we're feeling those, that unfairness fester. It's never going to be even never. It's just impossible, but it has to feel fair. It's never going to be even, but it has to feel fair. And when you agree on something and when you feel like you actually got to be a part of the decision-making and instead of being defaulted, that's when you feel like I'm in a fair partnership because we chose on this together. We agreed on this. And that those are just some of the things that I would start with. That makes a lot of sense. That's great. Because, yeah, just breaking it down and sitting down. Because it's true. Anytime you communicate through it, and we haven't done the formal, I need, like that sounds wonderful. I think it is. It's like your own little business. You're just like distributing responsibilities amongst, yeah. amongst the people. Yep. You write it all down. And it's like, I'm not going to go in this, you know, pointing fingers or saying, I do everything around here. Cause like when we're in that bitterness or resentment, you do, you do want to make that person understand the hurt that you're feeling, which is a valid feeling. But like, let's talk about like, what's more effective. Obviously when you come in guns blazing and you're like, I do everything, you don't do shit around here. That's just not going to go over well, usually, you know, and we want to collaborate as a partnership and think of like, okay, Hey, I wrote down the top, 20 things that need to get done. What can you help me with? What can we work on together? 
and you don't have to be responsible for making this list by yourself. You could sit down with your partner and say like, okay, what needs tending to in our house? Because I'm going to tell you something that I do this in my, my own home. I forget the things that my husband does that I hate to do. Like the, he does, this is the part of when we're feeling overwhelmed, we forget that our partner even contributes. We think they do like zero. And then I realize, like, oh my gosh, you, this is silly. Like you get the mail every day because our mailboxes are like a little ways away. <laughs> They're not in front of our house. And like you take the trash out, you replace all the light bulbs. These are just like the little tasks that he does that if he weren't here, I'd be like, I mean, I do it. Clearly I'm capable. I just don't want to do the things that you do. And I know that you don't want to do the things I do. So let's agree on who's the taskmaster of what. Yeah. You definitely forget about the things they do, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially when it's linked to baby. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No, I love that. Actually, I think I heard a study and I don't have any source to quote this, but maybe let me know if this is at all remotely familiar, that men who do more housework, they have more sex in their relationships. Is that true or false? Let's I haven't call heard that true. one, but I could, hear, I could almost put my life on that one. <laughs> there, was a, there had to have been some sort of, maybe it was like tongue in cheek, but but I feel like that's good. There's gonna, maybe that'll be a motivator for any anyone's I know. partner. Yeah, totally. We're calling it true, and everyone who's listening to this, share it. With, yeah, <laughs> so that it equals, you know, more sex for everyone, but also uh, more housework uh, taken away from you. Or you could part. just use that as like a leveraging piece today, and say that you read. You know, everybody that's listening, mm-hmm. I heard a study recently, and this is what they found. Huh, that's interesting. And then just yeah. see where it goes from there. And then say, so let's go through this task list of things that need to get done around the house. (laughs) So this is good. This is, these are really actionable tips. Basically Mm. you're collaborating and I love what you said, how it's not going to be fair, but it has, or sorry, it's not going to, not going to feel even, but it has to feel fair. Am I quoting you correctly there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting. It's a way to think about it. Like it's sort of a mental pivot, right? Because we're always like, it has to be even, but you're like, don't manage your expectations. Mm-hmm. you know, depending on the situation, but you have to come to an agreement is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's good. Um, okay. Let's talk a little bit more, a little bit more about um, the pandemic and how has that impacted what you're seeing in your practice? Mm. So many different things. The one thing that we are seeing, and it's um, honestly, it seems straightforward is we're seeing a lot of burnout. Um We've taken, you know, parents are stripped away of all the supports that they once used to have. And I mean, granted, some people are getting back to a more routine and they're having more access to those resources. But for so long, the demands on parents have stayed the same or they have increased, but their supports are gone. So what do we expect to happen? I'm seeing a lot of parents that are hitting this wall and saying like, I am so burned out, you know, just waking up in the morning and thinking about all the things I have to do. It feels impossible. I don't, nothing sounds good or I just, I've reached my limits. So that's something that's come up quite a bit for the parents that I meet with. I think we can all relate. (laughs) Lexi and I were just talking about this beforehand, before you hopped on the call. She's like, how are you? And I was like eating eating lunch, like in the microphone, trying to cram it all in and being like, I've got a million things to do. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, 
It's a lot for sure. So what, okay, what are your tips to avoid? I mean, I always say ask for help, but like, that's all fine and good. What if there is no help to be had, right? Mm -hmm. That's such a, that's an important point. It's something that we need to acknowledge. So part of this is like, like where does the burden lie when someone is experiencing burnout? I think it's hard because when we start sharing tips, like I have a resource for burnout and it's kind of like, well, that means that we've got to do more work now and we're experiencing burnout. And that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think anybody is saying, unfortunately we experience burnout as parents. And I think that there's like a systemic problem of like the expectations on parents and here in the U S like there was no leave, you know, we don't have leave. Mm -hmm. There are limited supports for parents. So obviously there's a number of issues with globally and how we treat parents and the, um, I think the supports that we offer, particularly mothers, because they do like we, I was looking through a research study and mothers do far more of the housework, the child rearing, and they are, you know, also working, like I mentioned earlier. So it's like, they're doing these like two different jobs. They're working so much. Of course, they're going to feel burned out. So I don't want to just say like, take a hot bubble bath and, you know, listen to your favorite music and that's going to cure your burnout because that would be like a slap in the face. So I want to acknowledge that there are system, like there's system, systemic problems. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> having a, we're finding trouble here this morning. Um, there are systemic problems that need to be addressed, but we don't want to worsen what's going on because sometimes we are our own worst enemy and we do worsen our burnout by taking on too much, by being perfectionistic, by expecting things to be a certain way, by cramming our schedules, um, not having boundaries in, you know, practicing saying no and just saying no, like no is a complete sentence. I don't have to qualify this. I don't have to have an excuse. I don't have to tell you anything else, but having boundaries is one of a critical piece in helping to really buffer that burnout. But there are quite a few things that you can do. So in the the resource I offer, Overcoming Parental Burnout, we talk about like the stress response cycle. And their stress response cycle is what occurs in our body. And it's chronically activated, especially for parents that are experiencing burnout. And you think about it like um, it's a very adaptive cycle, like back Back, back in the day, you know, you're being chased down by a bear, the stress response cycle is activated and you are either going to fight or you're going to run for your life. Right. And this serves a purpose. If we didn't have our stress response cycle, we wouldn't know how to respond, but we are activating this currently current times all day by, um, when we're engaged with our kids when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're overstimulated by all the sounds that are in our house and all of the input that we're receiving by not having supports. And so this is being activated in our bodies. In our, you know, back in the day times, you're running, you're getting to a safe place and you've resolved that stress response cycle or you're fighting. Oh, gosh, I can't imagine fighting a bear, but you know, you're resolving that stress response cycle because you're doing something with that energy current times, we're having this accumulation of all of these stress hormones, but we're not doing anything with it. It's just there in our body. And we feel burned out. We feel tired. We're having chronic pain. Um, you're having nausea. All of these physical symptoms are coming to play because we're having this happen all the time. So we need to resolve it. The number one thing that we can do to resolve this cycle is 
getting physically active. No one wants to hear that. Who wants to hear that today? Everyone's going to roll their eyes. You know, I don't want to move my body, but moving our bodies in a meaningful way and doing something that sends the signal back to our body that says, it's okay. We're safe. We're good. And that could be walking. It doesn't have to be like a boot camp. You know, I think that's Pilates. what people think when, yeah, you could do it's Pilates. Pilates. It's just Pilates. Pilates. <laughs> it's, it's only the bell method. The really. bell method. <laughs> See, there we go. That's all you got to do. Resolve. Case closed. Move it right along. But yeah, doing something that feels good for you. And um, that's the number one way. Obviously, there's a ton of ways that we could be here for the rest of the week talking about this mm-hmm. for the weekend. And, um, but that's a really good start. I obviously love that tip tremendously. <laughs> Sign up for my class. No, but but it's interesting that you mentioned about the chronic pain because I have a lot of people say I am in pain and therefore I'm not sure if I can do your class. And I'm like, if you do this class, it will get you out of pain. You know, and, and so I feel like there is that fear, right? That almost par- paralysis of like, I'm overwhelmed, I'm burnt out, I don't know what to do. And you become a little bit incapacitated and then the pain. And it just, I imagine it becomes a bit like a feedback loop. Yeah. Um, right? It's like, it's because it, it is a negative feedback loop, right? Like I have chronic pain, therefore I cannot work out. And now I have more chronic pain. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the same in birth. We call it the pain, tension, fear cycle, right? Like you just get, it's, it's sort of like more and more and more of a, a strain on your nervous system. Your sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system is going crazy. Um, and it's also so though, kind of, even with like not, I mean, the pandemic and you mentioned boundaries and then this vicious cycle of like that fight or flight feeling being ongoing, but, and it's also even, cause I know even amongst all of my team members, it's the same thing, whether they have kids or not, it's like that feeling of burnout and just constant, I don't know, repetition and all of that. And the boundaries is such a good, um, good, you know, first tip for that. And we've like implemented that even in our wax on team of like no meeting Fridays and like as much as things that we can do and everyone mentioning their boundaries and minor, you know, after five o'clock, like from five to seven, it's like kid time, like just unless it's emergency, don't reach out to me, those types of things. But I think then the movement piece, I find it's so, and I know Nikki, you like live and breathe this, but for it truly makes such a difference when you get away and just take like even a 15 minute walk. And it seems counterproductive because you're so busy and you have so many competing priorities, but you just come back and you're so much more productive and you just like feel Mm -hmm. it's day and night once you actually engage in the movement. So I can, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a great tip. And I get it for like even parents that have, you know, don't have childcare. Mm -hmm. So like there's barriers, obviously there are going to be barriers to this and you have to meet this, like what's where you're at in the season that you're in. I get people that ask me this all the time. When my son was really little, I did a lot of at-home workouts and he would be right there with me. Were they like completely effective? Like, did I feel like I was having a vacation? No, (laughs) but I was like getting to ease the tension in my body because like you've been on for so long. So it felt good. And that would be like 15 or 20 minutes. He would be right there crawling on top of me. Or like if he did take a nap, I would try to get that time in and I was working and doing all of these things. And then it got to a point where like, okay, buddy, I'm strap you in the stroller. We're going to go for a walk. And it's like, I would put in my headphones in one ear and listen to a podcast. And it felt like I was out with my closest girlfriends and because motherhood can feel so isolating. So I would just be like out for this walk 
listening to a podcast. We go there, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, whoo, you know, like that feels better. And as things evolve and as you grow into the next season or you have different kinds of supports or your kids are in um, different stages of life, you get to do different things. So you just have to kind of move and adjust with the season that you're in. Mm -hmm. It's not forever. I think that's another big one, right? When you're in it, you can be like, this is my new reality forever and ever, but it's, it's all temporary. Mm-hmm. And you don't know that because like, you don't know what you don't know. I remember those first several months, I was just like sitting in the couch and thinking like, is this ever going to get better? Because you just don't know. And you almost feel like, oh gosh, this is never going to get better. This is going to be it. Like I'm going to be doomed to be strapped down to my house. <laughs> I had a really colicky baby. It was a very oh, traumatizing yeah. experience. And um, he's the coolest four-year-old now. <laughs> but it's so funny to think back. Like we look at him now and we're like, you, he was actually asking him, me about him being a baby earlier today. And I was like, kid, you don't want to know. Like, it was bad. <laughs> was I adorable? Yes. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, you cried from sunup till sundown. Oh, I was like, oh, okay. Walking was the only thing we had. No wonder you had to podcast in all the yeah. time. And, and, and I mean, what a bl- in a way, like considering like everything you like I had shared in the intro, everything you post on your your account is so relatable, and it's because you lived it. Like you really truly lived so much of this, which makes what you have to share. Like you're not just a psychologist who's giving like, you're like, no, this is like lived wisdom and experience in addition to the academic piece. So I think that's amazing. Thank you. It's honestly, I think some of the best stuff comes out of our own pain Mm -hmm. and because you can relate to people and it's not phony. And I, when I first started and I was sharing posts, I always like thought like, oh, what are people going to think about that? You know what? Here we are (laughs) still doing it. (laughs) Still relatable. I love that. Okay. Let's, can we talk about mental health in general? Um, Just the whole concept of mental health is slowly becoming less stigmatized. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something I think we can all agree. We're working on talking about it more openly, certainly much more openly than our parents' generation. Um, But would you still agree that we still have work to do? And, And what does that look like in your opinion? Like, what can we do? as a society to, to help more people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely becoming talked about more. And I think social media has helped in that way. Uh, I think, I think we do still have more work to do. And I think like, if we think about it, like, how do I know there's more work to do? Can you call your employer? I mean, all employers and say like, I'm, I need a mental health day today. I mean, I don't, I know that there are going to be some that will say, yeah, of course, sure thing. You can do it. But do all people, is that a universal thing? You know, can we just say that? I mean, if you were a diabetic and you're like, I've got to go see my endocrinologist, people are like, okay, sure thing. Got it. But if you're like, I am having a day and I need to take this off from my mental health, I'm having some anxiety and I just need this to settle. Some might be understanding, some might not. And we have to, I think until we can all share in their I don't know if this is like a utopian idea, but until we can share and someone's not questioning or there's not large groups of people questioning the authenticity of people sharing their mental health issues, 
Mm, yeah. Cause we have different things here in Canada called the bell let's talk day. And like people start to talk about like their own experiences, but do you feel like some of it comes across as not being genuine? Well, yes. So there's like a whole, I mean, I think there's anywhere and everywhere. There's going to be people that say like, toughen up. You're just weak, you know, um, pick yourself up from your bootstrap by your bootstraps kind of mentality. You're just weak-minded. People, these young people of today are just weak-minded. They're not strong enough. And you hear these messages still. And it's problematic because they are not familiar with how mental health works and how these um, these issues are so pervasive and problematic in people's lives. And if you were telling somebody that's experiencing depression, anxiety, bipolar, whatever it may be, they don't want to be dealing with that. They don't want to be missing work because they feel like crap. They don't want to, you know, be isolated or not in, you know, engaging with their family because they're feeling so low in, in a dark place. So yeah, empathy. We're still working on that. Mm-hmm. And that taking that mental health day does not impact you in the back end of it in a way, yeah. you know, like all employers actually saying like, yeah, is a difference of saying, yes, you can take a mental health day and that you like are, are a supportive employer around that. And then are going to ask them how they're doing and make sure that you're helping to support in ways and that that doesn't then get, you know, they don't get penalized from, you know, getting a certain promotion or whatnot because of that down the line. There's a difference mm-hmm. between those things, right? Because it is For such sure. a, it, uh, there's so like anxiety and uh, within mental health and all of those pieces, like it's such a, um, it's important piece of also getting the most out of your people as an employer in appreciating and understanding how each person works most effectively. And if all people could adapt to that and be like empathetic and understanding, I think it would be a very different, um, situation for, and it would probably help a lot, like reduce that anxiety that is adding to the mental health issue anyways, is around Mm -hmm. like my work and how supportive or not supportive they are around how I'm feeling. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not even just the workplace when you think about it. Like, can you imagine if we all interacted with one another that way? Like, oh, okay, you're having a hard day. Like how, how can I best support this person? And I know that's going to take time. And I know this is more than just obviously, um, minimizing the, you know, taboo topic of mental health. It's just personality types and the way that people are and the way what they think and their worldview. So there's just a lot of things that play into this, but it would be nice to live in a space where we all respected one another to say, okay, you're having a hard time right now. Okay. So speaking of respecting each other, we talked about this before we started recording. Can we talk about trigger warnings on social media? Because I've seen... Now it's interesting. I feel like we've started to see more trigger warnings because, and and if you're not familiar with what that is, if you're listening, it's essentially sensitive content. So if someone's, for example, going to talk about pregnancy loss, you know, they would have say trigger warning. And then if you were, you know, maybe not ready to look at read caption about that, you could skip that post. Um, And I, you can have trigger warnings, I think for a lot of different things. I've seen it for a lot of different things, but then recently I've been through IVF and I follow a bunch of, of fertility accounts. One of them was saying how they actually hate trigger warnings because it feels like 
it's it's unnecessary and it, it adds more shame and, and so it was and there was a whole big debate and I was like I made a mental note I was like I have to talk to Dr. Rain about this I want to her to weigh in on this conversation of like trigger warnings are they helpful or detrimental yeah so this is big and I have my own questions about this I mean is there a, like a definitive right or wrong answer no but I think obviously anything can be a trigger anything right And it is hard, unless you're being blatantly disrespectful on social media, anything can be taken as a trigger warning, really. So I think we have to to be responsible for our own healing. And if we know that social media doesn't feel like a safe place, or if we feel like, for example, people are talking about fertility, or they're talking about pregnancy loss, and I'm not in a space right now where I can see this. And I think that's like, I need to do some work and some healing because no one there, people are not doing this to be harmful or hurtful. Right. Um, Obviously it would be a different story if someone was sharing content that is hurtful to the public about, you know, whatever vulgar or um, violent graphic material. But it's really hard because that's kind of like, well, when we get into fertility space, so someone's celebration becomes a trigger warning, right? Yeah. And I've actually seen quite a few people who share their pregnancy announcements lately and they're apologizing for it. And I find that to be hurtful. You know, it's like you're, you're in a space where you're in a good place and you're trying to celebrate something. But now we really feel like we have to be so... I don't know. It's like we have to be so cautious of what we say and how we say it because we don't want to um, potentially offend anybody or hurt anybody. And I'm not saying like, like I said, if your intent is to be hurtful, obviously that's a different story. But in a situation like this, if you're finding yourself being triggered by what people are posting, you need to really unfollow and you need to start to do some self-exploration and realize like, am I ready to be on a space like this right now? Or is there some additional healing that needs to happen from whatever has gone on with my life? Because in obviously the real world, people are not walking around with trigger warnings. Yeah, I love that. As a content creator myself, it's something that I've, I've certainly thought about a lot. And I, I've talked about my own journeys and whatnot, but I think I, I once did share about a story. It was a woman um, who had sent me a testimonial Um, and it was, she had been through the prenatal class and she really unfortunately had experienced late stage pregnancy loss. And in her testimonial, she explained that, but she, she basically said, I was still able to, you know, feel supported through the experience and was just telling me how the class had impacted her, but did share that she didn't end up with a live baby at the end of it all. And I remember some people saying, well, that testimonial needed a trigger warning. And it's, it's hard because I understand I have a lot of pregnant women on the feed and I would never want to make them more anxious about something they may already be anxious about. Um, and so it was, it was hard because her story deserves to be shared. And I don't know if she would have wanted a trigger warning on it or not. So it's, it's a, I don't know, it, it's definitely something to think about. Mm-hmm. And I think, cause there are two sides to this and I have seen the, um, women who post and say like, this is my story. This is my child. My child doesn't deserve a trigger warning. Right. 
So we want to hold space for everybody and obviously we want to be respectful, but at the end of the day, um, we have to be mindful that if there if something is hurtful or it feels like it's bringing up feelings in us, it might be time to say like, okay, why is this bringing up feelings in me? Why am I having so much anxiety around this? Do I need to do some work here where, you know, if I see a story or something is shared, it does not bring up such strong emotions for me. And that'd be important to explore. I mean, there's stories I could tell you, my friends, how much are we going to get into this today? (laughs) But basically, um, basically like even had people, I've shared a recent story of, of just mental health on social media is a big one, right? Like if your body type looks different than someone else's, you know, and saying, well, like looking at your body type at four months postpartum doesn't look like me. So therefore I'm triggered, right? Like as, you know, as Sharina, you were saying, so, you know, is that person, should you be following me in the first place? If that's how you see, you know, I'm, I'm trying to share information for your pelvic floor, you know, and I'm making it about your, your pelvic health and your whatever. But if, if all you can see is a particular body shape, then that's unfortunate, but I get it. Like it can happen. It's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Other people are not responsible for our healing and people don't know what we struggle with. So like, I think the issue, this is the struggle with social media it's that we're now like challenged to do the impossible. It's like we all have to speak in a language that we're all trained experts on every field. Like, don't say that. And this actually brings up this idea. I, I keep seeing <laughs> all of these people post stuff like, avoid this, say this. You know, it's like we have to talk in scripts mm-hmm. where we have to be perfect. And if we're not perfect with what we say and how we share it, it could be damaging to other people, but also to our kids and we could potentially ruin them. And it's like, this is a lot of anxiety. This is a lot of, this is a lot of pressure. So I think if we bring it back to our intention, like is my intention to obviously support people and be helpful. And we just, it's like, I think we're putting ourselves in this position where people are afraid to talk. They're afraid to offer support. They're offered, they're afraid to share their stories because they don't know what to say and how to say, I get this all the time. Like when we do um, like Friday features, there'll be some moms that are like, we'll say like, is it okay that I said this? It's like, well, this is your story. I mean, that's your story. Your story is okay. And we need to really be thinking about if I am triggered by like seeing different body shapes and sizes or um, what someone is doing or what happened to them in their life. Why am I following this page? If Mm -hmm. it is bringing up all these feelings. But again, you know, what's going on with me? Like, is there, do I have a body image issue that is unresolved? Am I, you know, is this bringing up feelings in me that feel uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's not to say that everything that people share is healthy. Like, obviously there's going to be stuff that's like not good for our mental health on social media, but you need to really have better boundaries with what you consume and make sure it suits you and your needs. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's true. And I've, 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 I feel you, I feel you on that so much. Um, what would you say, you know, cause you've really, you've listed so many amazing tips here. Um, but sort of what are the main tips you would give to someone listening to this right now? Who's struggling with their mental health? Find help. I mean, really, I think one of the questions I get quite a bit is, um, when should I seek help? And if you're asking this question right now, like it's the time right now, 
if you're wondering, should I get help? If you're wondering if it's the right time or if is, is this serious enough, this is, there's no greater time than right now. There is no such thing as going to see a provider too early. In fact, it's the best thing that you can do. Because the last thing you want to do is wait until you're in a crisis place and then be scrambling to find support services. So if you are um, postpartum, whether you're that first year or beyond, if you're pregnant, you can look at Postpartum Support International's website at postpartum.net. They have a robust directory of providers and resources. They have virtual support groups. They have uh, supports for partners and dads. They're incredible resource and it's offers resources globally. So that would be a good place to start. But yeah, I'd say find help because you don't want to do this alone and you really want to feel seen in your pain or your suffering and have somebody recognize that and help you navigate that. Cause sometimes when we're in a dark place, we're not feeling ourselves. We don't know how to get out of it or we don't even know that we're in it. I remember my son was about 18 months old and I was just then starting to reflect back and say, I was in a dark place. Like it was just like me emerging from that and thinking that was a really hard time. And I would like look through the pictures in my phone and it was sad because I remember thinking like, this was a bad time for me. I was struggling and I didn't even know it. All I could see was I was angry. I was upset. I was frustrated a lot and help getting help, getting connected with somebody is so important. Makes so much sense. And yeah, I, it's true that you don't really see it when you're in it as much as when you're outside of it and reflecting back and saying like, whoa, that was mm-hmm. much harder than I probably gave myself credit for when I was in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I used to say, and now I bring this up to almost every person I encounter, is if you find yourself saying, like, I just don't feel like myself, it's time to see somebody. Go ahead and see somebody. I remember saying this so often. And my husband and I didn't know because we never had a baby. We'd never done this before. And I just kept saying that. Like, I just don't feel like myself. Like, I, this is a lot. You know, it's like your whole life can flip upside down in the most beautiful and messy ways possible. And you're confused because you're like, how does these two experiences coexist? I love you so much and I've lost myself so much. I don't know. Like, where am I? Like, how do I make sense of all this? So I have shivers listening to you say that. Absolutely. I'm telling you. So lived experience. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. You are a busy, a busy mom, a busy practitioner. You've got a lot going on. So thank you for taking the time to share with us. Can you tell us a little bit more? We'll put this all in some show notes and whatnot, but tell us again where everyone listening here can find you. Yeah. So I am psyched mommy, like just about everywhere. And that's P-S-Y-C-H-E-D-M-O-M-M-Y. So that's my website, psychedmommy.com. I am psychedmommy on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. And on my website, I have so many tools and free resources. So I have free resources. I have, I host workshops with my colleague, Erica, from Happy as a Mother. I have courses for moms that enter motherhood and they're really trying to navigate all these things. So it's called keeping mommy in mind and it brings the focus completely back to moms 
and helping them with their mental health, the transition to motherhood, everything, boundaries, relationship dynamics, everything that we've talked about today is covered actually in that. That's like my foundational course. And I also have an overcoming parental burnout course. So all this stuff is on my website, but yeah, that's, that's me. That's where you can find me (laughs) or you can email me. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I'm sure everyone will be checking that out and amazing that you have so many resources available. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.